word to you. And we'll say a little prayer of illumination first. Lord God, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And as you hear these various scripture passages, listen for God's special word to you. Our first reading is from the Psalms. Psalm 24, verses 3 to 6. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol, or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord, and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Our second reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Reading verses 3 to 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our third and final reading comes to us from the letter of Paul to Timothy, the second letter, reading verses 22 to 26. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. One of the reasons I do not recommend new Christians try reading the Bible straight through from cover to cover is Leviticus. Most people can get through the strange but interesting narrative arc of Genesis. And while there are some slow bits in Exodus, it is doable, especially if you still have the energy and excitement that comes with the first real encounter with God. But Leviticus. <laughs> Leviticus will slow down or halt even the most seasoned and faithful, because there are just so many rules. And if, by some miracle, this faithful fledgling should happen to muddle or skim through Leviticus, they immediately encounter Numbers and Deuteronomy, a census of the Israelite people, and more rules. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, laws are laid out for all sorts of situations, many that are completely um, inapplicable to today's world. They talk about law for marriage, divorce, childbirth, temple sacrifice, diet, death, illness, mildew. But in spite of the seemingly esoteric lists of do's and don'ts, I actually really like these two books, especially Deuteronomy. Because the law in Hebrew scripture is not just rules for the sake of having rules. It's a covenant that God makes with God's people. The covenant is beautiful, and it's exciting. A covenant is more than just a promise, and it's more than just a legal document. It's sort of both. A promise is an emotional contract. Law has legal implications. A covenant is both tied to emotion and legality. It's a binding way of saying these two things belong together. Marriage, for example, is a covenant. There are both legal and emotional implications. There is a legal contract and a promise involved. The covenant that God makes with Israel is one that sets the people of Israel aside as being God's special people. And this involves purity. This involves being holy, being different from the people around them. We see early on and often in the Old Testament a call to holiness and purity. In Leviticus 19, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
So the idea that we see in the Beatitudes of purity of heart being important is not new with Jesus. The point of this covenant is not to make people follow the rules because God is some sort of strict school teacher. The point is that God's people are to be purposeful, compassionate, and different people. God's people are purified and set aside by this covenant. And so likewise, when we move on to Jesus and his words in the Beatitude, we see that the new covenant that unfolds in the Gospels is not just another set of easier rules. It's not a set of different rules because the old covenant wasn't just about rules to begin with. God did not mysteriously have a sudden change of heart about what holiness looks like. And so the new covenant offers the ability to live holy lives to everyone. If you have a Bible that includes cross-references at the bottom of the page, sometimes it's listed as little footnotes right in the text, I encourage you to check out all of the cross-references in the Beatitudes. Like much of what Jesus says in the Gospels, they're full of references to the Torah, both overt references and quotes, direct quotes from it, and subtle references. And sometimes the connections are as simple as the setting where it takes place. The Beatitudes happen on a mountain, just like where Moses was originally given the law, the Old Covenant. There is an important and an obvious connection between these covenants. Like the Jews of Jesus' time, we tend to find it easier to call out people, either others or ourselves, for external violation of the rules or law than we do to inspect the internal status of our hearts. In fact, we often fall for the lie that we can behave ourselves by our own power. But this is not about the rules. This is not about willing ourselves into good behavior. This is about our hearts. As we have been exploring on Wednesday evening, centering our hearts on God is not easy. It is, however, necessary. We live in a world that values earning things through hard work. If so, we assume that if someone doesn't have everything that they need or want, it's because they didn't work hard. And if someone has everything and then some, we assume it's because they worked very hard. And even though that is not always the case, because I know many hardworking people who still struggle to pay the bills every week, and Hollywood is full of people who are rich and famous for no darn good reason, we still seem to assume that this hard work always pays off adage is true. It's a pretty difficult shift in thinking to work from the inside out rather than the outside in. We struggle with purity of heart because we still want control or comfort or any other number of human desires that just don't jive with Jesus' picture of the kingdom. We struggle with purity of heart because we're so worried about outside appearances and changing behavior and working hard. There are pieces of our dirty hearts that we just want to hold on to. There are many similarities between Jesus' style in the Sermon on the Mount and the Psalms. And the most notable example of this is Psalm 1, which reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
And his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The Hebrew in this passage that Jesus is also bouncing off of and referencing in the Sermon on the Mount, the Hebrew can be translated as blessed, but it can also mean to find the right road. So, you have found the right road if you aren't taking advice from sinners and trying to fit in with cynics. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be happy or have some sort of worldly definition of blessed. We just have to be on the right road. That road is a life of seeking God through the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And on that road, we can begin to catch glimpses of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We are told that the pure of heart will see God, but all through Scripture is the clear message that none of us can truly be pure of heart, right? That's hard to wrestle with. Yet in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of all we've missed and all we've gotten wrong, we are purified by Jesus. And this is right in the heart of Lent. So sit with this today. We are called to be pure of heart, and yet none of us are able to live up to that calling. We walk through Lent as a season of confession and repentance, remembering that not one of us can manage this. We remember and we reflect on our great need for someone to save us from ourselves. During our witnessing God at work time together this morning, we heard Jesus' last words, which are usually translated in English as it is finished. But this particular word that is used can also have legal or covenantal implications, meaning something like it is paid off or it is official. You see, a clerk would have used this word on a receipt to indicate when a debt had been paid, or it would have been used on a deed when the deed had been dated and signed at the ceiling of a, or at the selling of a property. It meant that the obligations of the parties involved in this contract or covenant had been fulfilled. If a father sent his son out on an important job or duty, the son would finish the work and then come back and use this word as a way of saying that his work was done. Mission complete. As we walk through Lent, visiting our great need for grace, we ask God to hear us in our despair, and we realize we cannot keep up our end of this covenant. And then we acknowledge that God hears us in our despair, and we are made new by Jesus so that we may see God. When, not if, we fail to be pure in heart, When our hearts are obviously stained by sin, we are not left to reap the consequences of a broken covenant with God. We are not left to wallow in our own despair and brokenness. We must acknowledge it. We must wrestle with it. But we must do so by asking the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. Something that is made possible by Jesus' great sacrifice on our behalf. The Beatitudes are clear that you do not have to be perfect to be included in the kingdom. You just have to seek God. And you don't have to be pure of heart by your own power to see God. 
We just have to get on that road. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin or to continue a cleansing work in you. And Jesus takes care of filling in where we fall short. So thank God that we have been made pure and we can begin to see God in the world around us. Amen.